Welcome to Naturally Nourished, a food is medicine podcast that delivers cutting edge information and solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought out by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only and should not be used in place of any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from a licensed health professional. Now welcome your host, Allie Miller, integrative dietitian and owner of Naturally Nourished, and her vice president, integrative dietitian Carly Vogler. Hi, everyone. Welcome to podcast number 16, talking about five hormones that will make you fat. I'm here with Allie Miller. Hey, guys. Happy to have you back. And today we want to talk about hormones and weight loss specifically because we know there's a lot of people out there who may restrict their calories and limit their diet and just completely baffled when they're not getting the results that they want. And so we want to elucidate the fact that hormones might truly be what is stopping your progress. Absolutely. In fact, all too often, I would say, I don't know about you, Carly, but maybe 30% of my clients are what I would call perfect eaters or suffer from the perfect eating syndrome. And that doesn't mean that they're following my naturally nourished optimal eating approaches, but it does mean that they are tracking their intake. They're being very vigilant, um, following some form of a protocol or macros. And all too often, hormones beyond our sexual hormones, our stress hormones, our neurotransmitters and the liking can lead to dysfunction. So really the way I describe it to patients is that they are, you know, running up a down, a downward escalator. So they're not working with the system and the flow of their body. They're working against it. So today, hopefully we'll find some clarity and um, help you guys learn about five hormones that can make you fat. So let's start with leptin. This hormone we discussed a bit in the past two podcasts about ketosis since it is increased and amped up during intermittent fasting. Yes, yes. So leptin is the opposing hormone to ghrelin. And I always think of the two because I think of ghrelin when I was studying for whatever exam that would have been on, I don't know. <laughs> ghrelin was the one I would think of as gremlin. And so ghrelin is the one that creates that hunger or that insatiable hunger. And leptin creates satiation or satiety. So you want high leptin values. There's actually been a lot of obesity research, a lot of journals of obesity and, and other uh, published research studies seeing that people that have low leptin hormone tend to be overweight because they just don't get that natural trigger or that natural satiation to tell them that they can stop eating and prevent them from overeating. So low leptin leads to weight gain most definitely. And leptin is stimulated by consuming ample fat in the diet um, and also is going to be stimulated when stress levels are managed. And as Carly mentioned, intermittent fasting, which increases your human growth hormone, uh, which intermittent fasting, for those of you that missed it, I believe we talked about that. Was that last episode, episode 15, and a little bit in episode 14, both of the ketosis podcasts. But I think we got a little deeper into it in, in the, the last one, the second 16, of the two. Oh, sorry, 15, 15 yes. yeah. Yep. Um, but intermittent fasting is generally going to be going at least 16 hours with no food. It's done the most successful when you are ketogenic, but generally speaking, even just not eating for 12 hours. So the nighttime munching beyond the selections of what you're choosing, you know, there's two sides to it. Usually nighttime munching is when we go for the ice cream, the potato chips, the alcohol. So they're typically 
low nutrient dense choices, but there's actually some research literally done on the timing of intake and that if we're eating too often, um, that that can lead to increased fat storage in the body. So even if you're just allowing yourself to fast for 12 hours and not going into the full ketogenic process, that might work. If you are keto though, we think you can go longer, like 16 hours, because you're not going to have that insulin and glucose response. So um, going about 16 hours, meaning like 8 p.m., no more food, and then and then um, doing an intermittent fast, just pure fat in the morning, like a fat bomb, um, and then breaking your fast at noon is going to bump up your leptin as well. Okay. So that's how we can increase our leptin. We want more leptin and less ghrelin. But is there any foods that might interfere with our body's natural ability to make leptin? Oh, totally. So refined sugars have also been shown in research to actually hinder our leptin response. Uh, Corn syrup is the biggest, well, fructose in general. So fructose sugars when they're refined. So not coming from natural fruits, but coming from things like uh, high fructose corn syrup, corn syrup in general, and then agave, remember, agave also is 100% fructose in its makeup. Fructose will disrupt your leptin hormone, and, and that can definitely drive the increased cravings and, and lack of satisfaction in the diet. So following a non-processed, low-glycemic diet that we typically support, like in the cookbook, is going to be an easy way to kind of cover the bases and avoid these things that affect things like hormone sorry, hormones like leptin that you might not even be thinking about. Right. So, you know, I I don't know if we even talk about that in the book, but most definitely eating a low glycemic diet and consuming nourishing foods, especially a, a moderate to higher fat diet, and then if you have a sweet tooth, going for, it, like for instance, our, our chapter in our cookbook called uh, Indulgences, Mindful Indulgences, we're only using sweeteners that are nutritive. So this is things like dates. This is things like grade B maple syrup. So these are sweeteners that also provide our body with minerals, also provide our body with B vitamins, and actually can help our metabolism versus hinder it. Okay. So the next hormone we see women particularly, but men too, struggling oh, yeah. with... <laughs> Um, most often, especially around the time of perimenopause. So let's talk about estrogen. Yes. So estrogen would now be a sexual hormone, whereas leptin, we're talking more of a neurohormone. Um, estrogen is made by both, both men and women. And um, when we get excessive estrogen or, or also called estrogen dominance in the body, we tend to drive lipogenesis or fat storage in the body. What's interesting is that we're finding now also in research that the adipocytes or the fat tissues on the body, the cells in your fat tissue storage are actually pro-estrogenic. So as you, it's this vicious cycle, as you hold more body fat, that body fat tells your body to make more estrogen and the higher estrogen tells your body to make more fat. So it's this chronic vicious cycle. And um, we're seeing in men now this driving conditions like andropause. You know, we've focused so much of our hormonal transition with aging on menopause, which is the, the female decline of estrogen and other sexual hormones like progesterone. But with men now, we're seeing a lot more erectile dysfunction. We're seeing a lot more gynomastia, which is male breast formation. We're seeing more of that gynoid or android body tissue uh, where the gynoid is like that pear shape where men usually are more of the basketball android apple shape. Now some men are holding more weight around their hips and lower areas of their waist and that's heavily driven by estrogen. Um, and, And so the biggest thing that we look at, there's kind of two approaches, but in general, 
we want to block an enzyme in the body called the aromatase enzyme. Uh, aromatization is the conversion of testosterone into estrogen. And so both women and men can aromatase their testosterone into estrogen. And testosterone is healthy for all individuals because it plays a good role with our stress response. It plays a good role with our vigor, our libido, our lean body mass and the muscle tone. And in turn, as we've discussed in, in other episodes, your pounds of muscle that you carry on your body is what boosts your metabolism. So maintaining healthy testosterone in turn is going to help maintain a healthy metabolism and help to drive optimal body composition. So Allie, other than weight gain, what other things can people maybe experience if they're, if they have estrogen dominance? So estrogen dominance can also lead to things like insomnia, uh, mismanaged mood, which can be anxiety or depression or just ease towards tears and uh, mood, mood instability in general. We can also see infertility in both men and women um, contributing on, on both ends from estrogen dominance. We can see elevated blood pressure, elevated blood sugar levels or prediabetes with more insulin resistance. And then um, we can see issues like PCOS and fibroids. Okay. So I think what maybe is running through some people's heads is, well, that sounds like me, but I've gotten my blood drawn and my, you know, GYN said my estrogen level is normal. How often do we hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's normal. Nothing to worry about. Um, Yes. So all too often we hear that. And unfortunately, sexual hormones, the gold standard of assessing them is through saliva, not blood. The reason being is that it is a steroidal hormone and steroidal hormones are both water and fat soluble. Serum really does not capture the ability of that hormone to meet your target tissue or your cells. It's really what's just floating through the body. So it's kind of like your free estrogen versus your true tissue capacity. And um, what's typically run is going to be your estradiol. In the blood, very it's very uncommon or it's not common practice at all to run estriol, which is your E3. Um, we talk a lot about estrogen. Um, maybe you can look, I don't, I'm not sure off the tip of my tongue, the episode number, but we did an episode around October on breast cancer. And we talk a lot about the differences of E1, E2, and E3, your different types of estrogen. Um, Jen, I can give you a quick kind of overlap, but if you're, if you're looking to read more about this, um, oh, Carly's giving me the signals, episode six. <laughs> it's six. <laughs> it's like baseball signals. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, so episode six has a lot of information on estrogen dominance and um, a, a lot more content-rich information on that. But in general, your estradiol is the most dominant, or, or E2 is the most dominant form of your estrogen. And this is the one that we worry about in excess driving breast cancer and estrogen dominance. Your estriol or E3 actually has some estrogen antagonistic or anti-estrogen ability. So this can help in some positives, like it can help with healthy vaginal um, tissue, especially for women that are going through menopause and vaginal tissue is thinning or they're higher risk for tears or vaginal dryness. E3 can also help in positive changes like skin and bone, but yet not driving these negatives that we've discussed with estrogen dominance. So it's really important that you use a salivary assessment. We have available on our website under our treatments, uh, lab treatments, and um, these are listed under Labrix. It's L-A-B-R-I-X. There's a complete hormone panel, and then you can do a hormone panel adding on your cortisol, which that's a hormone we'll talk about today as well. 
and then some of your neurotransmitters, which are a lot of drivers of cravings and things like that. And I think it's worth mentioning too that even if you do get a salivary panel run, just because your estrogen is in normal range doesn't mean you're not showing signs of this dominance because if it's really about the hormones relationship to other Relativity. hormones. Yes. Right. So so yeah, we look at what's called an estrogen quotient. So if your E2 is in the highest level of normal and your E3 is in the lowest level of normal, or let's use the example of progesterone, let's say your progesterone is in the lowest level of normal and your estrogen is at the highest level of normal, it's like a really tall person, a really short person standing next to one another. So relatively, there's going to be this wide differentiation of expression and the cells that are able to get hormone expressed on them are going to be dominantly overdriven with the estrogen. The progesterone really isn't able to be expressed. Um, so yeah, that's definitely huge. I think before we go on to the next one, I just want to make sure I cover some foods that can help with aromatase blocking. So, so if you find yourself to be someone that has high estrogen, um, we first about the detox and then maybe we can talk about limiting your exposure or, um, sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going with that. Um, but, but aromatization is that process again of converting testosterone into estrogen. So things that can block that mushrooms are very, um, beneficial here. So shiitake mushrooms are one of your best as a food form. Also, um, looking at fibers overall to reduce estrogen that can actually help to, uh, trap the estrogen that's being recycled from the bowel or remove the estrogen that's being recycled by the liver. So having um, ample fiber in your diet, adding um, a fiber-rich supplement might be a, be a good benefit to add to your yogurt or add to your smoothie or something like that to make sure that you're getting that 30 grams a day of your, of your fiber. And then for the specific aromatization, we look at things like chrysin, which is in unfiltered honey, and uh, turmeric. Turmeric has also been shown to help to block that aromatization and also drive anti-inflammatory, which can mellow out those fat cells from driving the estrogenic properties. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out too that it can become a little overwhelming when we have all these different interventions and all these different foods that can work, but every little thing you do counts. So pick, you know, you're going to try to get more chia seeds in one week, and then the next week you want to get more beans, and just try and add one thing every week. Yeah, absolutely for fibers. And then something else to focus on for estrogen is your I3Cs. You'll see a lot of information on breast cancer research and, and cancer prevention in general from Eindol 3-carbonyls. So this is coming from your sulfurous foods. So your broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale. Uh, these foods are going to actually also help to detox the estrogen. So they don't block that conversion from testosterone, but they help to detox and they help to support the liver and the cleanse of estrogen dominance. Okay, number three is a really exciting one. Um, just because it's we've talked about it a bunch, but this you know we'll we'll focus on mostly in relationship to weight. But hormone number three is cortisol. That it's often overlooked, and I think it's really hard for people to digest the fact that, like you said in the beginning of this podcast, you can be eating perfectly, but if you do not have your stress under control, you can just not see the effects that someone else might. Right. Right. So um, tell us a little bit about cortisol. So cortisol, and, and um, we talk a lot about this with that HPA axis and the adrenal fatigue episode as well. Cortisol is your primary stress hormone, and this is uh, released from the adrenal glands, and it's primarily released during fight or flight or high stress induced moments. 
The issue is that often when we're stressed, we are sedentary. You know, we're stressed in traffic, we're stressed behind a computer, we're not running or fighting or fleeing anymore. And so the cortisol tells the uh, blood sugar in the body to be stored as fat. It goes into survival mode. It also creates a uh, shift with our insulin levels of our body. And remember, insulin in itself is pro-inflammatory. And cortisol is going to also interfere with our sleep, our, our REM cycles. Cortisol, when balanced in the body, is a natural L-shaped cascade, which is highest in the morning. And then it slowly cascades down throughout the day to help us to get into depth of sleep. Um, but when cortisol is imbalanced, it can be making a U or a V. Um, and that can throw our circadian rhythm off. It can throw our energy off. And then we typically go for things like more food when we're fatigued uh, or definitely more caffeine. And then that further perpetuates this adrenal fatigue and the imbalance of, of the cortisol output. As you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking of a specific client who... She's a self-diagnosed worrier, and she literally could be in traffic and realize that she's late, and she'll start this stress cascade and start freaking out, say, oh my gosh, I'm late, and I have to do this, and she can actually feel her clothes yeah. getting tighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's really wild. It's true. I, I don't know, and, and maybe it's just that I focus on it, but I feel like when I'm stressed, I always think of my belly and cortisol, <laughs> and I think to try to belly breathe, and I'm like, okay, the cortisol is hitting your belly. <laughs> Um, and it is. I think that's a really good point. It's all about perspective. Um, one of my favorite things to share on that is within self-talk because when we're managing our cortisol, yes, we can work with adaptogenic herbs. We can do that whole thing. But I think since we've spoke of that in the adrenal podcast, I'd rather focus today on cortisol and, and being mindful and managing it based on your relationship with your stress. And so I often think of it as, you know, what is your internal script? You know, if you're driving late to work, the end outcome, you know, maybe you're supposed to be to work at eight o'clock and the end outcome is you arrive at 8.05. So the end outcome is not going to change <laughs> regardless of your internal self-talk and your perception of stress. You're going to still hit the same amount of red lights. <laughs> you're still going to hit the same situation. And, and the outcome is you're going to be five minutes late, but you can either in that car ride crank up. Aretha Franklin or whatever's on your radio or, you know, um, listen to some positive mantras or jam out and arrive at, at 8.04 and get going with your work day. Or you can think to yourself, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have changed my outfit three times. I should have totally gotten my smoothie ready earlier. I can't believe I didn't have breakfast again. Oh my gosh. And all of this, what I call shooting all over yourself. Um, don't should all over yourself. And that creates this rumination and this got to, got to, got to, or should, should, should mindset. And literally, physiologically, you show up as a completely different being. So you actually show up with higher blood pressure. You show up with higher cortisol levels, lower blood sugar, which is going to lead you to, again, eating again and, and having to perpetuate that, that blood sugar irregularity throughout the day and self-doubt and self-judgment. So the rest of the day is the type of day where you're dropping stacks of paper, you know, you're stumbling over your words with your boss. And it's it's about how you control your perception or reaction to the stressor, I think, just as much as the physiological, herbal, adrenal, vitamin, mineral approach. Right. And I think it's worth mentioning now that the stress response 
psychologically is very similar to a physical stress response. For, so for those over-exercisers and people who love to work out, maybe yes. really high-intensity fasting or something, you're putting a lot of pressure on your body. Yes. So that can actually raise, spike your cortisol levels. So something I've been looking into a little bit more lately is just a little bit more of a resistant carbohydrate, like sweet potato powder in your morning shake or something. So you can, you know, if if insulin comes up even a little bit, it blunts the spike of cortisol. So that can help, um, you know, burn fat and support your workout without putting more stress and spiking more cortisol. And I think also managing your heart rate during workout often, um, you know, checking by your breath is a great way of, of aerobic and anaerobic. And um, I, I, there have been published research studies on, on exercise like CrossFit and high-intensity interval training and cortisol peaks um, and then actually throwing the body into adrenal dysfunction. So it absolutely, and I'm not, I'm not banging on that type of workout. I think it can be excellent for some people, but just being mindful of the physiological influence of exercise on your body, trying to breathe through that and then trying to recover and rebound as well as prepare in advance as best as possible. Yeah, and always listening to yourself through the process. So let's talk about some foods and minerals and vitamins that can really help support your adrenal glands. Yes, so vitamin C is uh, concentrated the highest in the adrenal glands. So high vitamin C diet, um, and actually we require more C in the production of cortisol, So as cortisol is going out, we're burning through more vitamin C. So it makes really good sense that we'd want to replete the adrenals with that vitamin C so that we can get a healthy rebound. So vitamin C, we typically think of things like citrus, actually really high in also bell peppers, high in all of your berries, Um, also going to be a great source from generally fresh fruits and and, um, vegetables. But citrus berries and bell peppers are your, your best three sources there. And then B vitamins also play a big role in conversion um, and activation of energy stores. These are cofactors. So B vitamins are actually highest in organs. Um, So if you're able to do your liver pate, we've talked about that in a couple episodes. We also have uh, liver pills available. And um, that's a recipe on our blog to make. Or you can actually do those through uh, Vital Proteins. Now has a really nice pasture-raised liver pill. Or um, like our uh, stress formula would be another good option. This is a complex of B vitamins and then also has adaptogenic herbs so that can actually prevent the output of the cortisol. And in episode 11, we talk more about supporting your adrenal glands with things like fat. Um, So definitely listen to that one as well. Okay, so we've gone through leptin, estrogen, and cortisol. The fourth one is very important for weight loss and is called adiponectin. So Allie, tell us more about that. Yes, (laughs) adiponectin. Um, So adiponectin, when we talk about the different types of fat stores in the body, there is the gray fat and there is the white fat. Adiponectin is a marker of that gray fat. It's actually the more thermogenic or metabolically active fatty tissue. And so adiponectin is something that helps our body to use glucose or blood sugar and insulin more efficiently, which in turn decreases our body fat storage. Adiponectin is something that we monitor in our cardiometabolic panel because of the influence on the glucose and insulin. And we know that those two players have such a huge role in uh, prediabetes and diabetes. And then there also are some new um, research studies being done on adiponectin and cardiovascular influence because 
It plays a role in our metabolism of fat. It also may play a role in our lipid distribution, so the types of cholesterol molecules that we're making in the body. So this is one of the ones we want more of. <laughs> yes, leptin, both leptin and adiponectin right. are, are two of those that are, are pretty much the higher the better, definitely. Okay, so how do we, for our listeners out there, increase our production of adiponectin? So adiponectin, like leptin, is also influenced by healthy fats. So definitely fish oil is a great supplement to consider. Most Americans um, are going to have a lower omega-3 ratio than desired. So when we're talking about the hunter-gatherer approach or a whole foods-based approach to the diet and eating more simple, whole, non-processed foods, we ideally are looking always to lower inflammation. You know, inflammation is that silent killer, that driver of imbalance in the body. And most Americans are at somewhere between a 30 to 40 to 1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. And back in the hunter-gatherer days, we used to be at a 2 to 1 or somewhere between a 2 to 1 or a 4 to 1. So supplementing with an EPA, DHA, omega-3 fatty acid is a great way to not only reestablish that inflammatory ratio, but also a great way to boost your adiponectin response in the body. Um, and, and, you know, eating, of course, wild-caught fish, you're going to find omega-3 also in your leafy greens. You're going to find omega-3 in your flaxseed. You're going to find it in your egg yolks. But it is most available in your animal sources, so getting it from the fish themselves. Um, and if you're looking at a fish oil, you'd want about 2 to 3 grams coming from your EPA and DHA. Which we've noticed recently in, in kind of hunting through our the ones that we like to use in practice, that's, it's hard to get that amount. Right. You have to find a really potent one to get that level. So our private label, the, the BioAvail, has two grams of marine lipid concentrate in two capsules, um, and it has one gram of the EPA DHA combined. So you would do two capsules twice a day to, to be getting that dosage as an, as an example. And a good quality fish oil will always have their breakdown of EPA DHA. You never want to look at just a total omega-3 count. That's not going to be as, as uh, qualitative, and it probably hasn't been third-party assessed for its actual presence, and so that's something that you'd want to watch. And then, of course, watching for that assessment of toxicity like mercury and PCBs and things like that. So, um, yeah, omega-3s are huge. And then I think lifestyle-wise, just like we talked about managing stress and mind talk, sleep is the biggest thing that we find tied for adiponectin. So um, research supports at least eight hours a night um, is really key for adiponectin support. And um, we also see benefit from lean muscle mass boosting activities, um, including with stretching. So things like resistance training and yoga are really big benefits to, to boost that up. And there's lots of supplements that could help with sleep, but I find just taking a lavender essential oil and just putting a little bit on your pillow, a little bit on your hair, like at the back of your neck and maybe on your wrist can really help you get into a deeper sleep too. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So on to hormone number five. Oh, there's one more that we didn't touch on, the, the self-torture thing that can help. Adiponectin increase. Oh, yes. <laughs> we have to share this one. <laughs> I at first was like, er. um, yes. So uh, hydrotherapy, <laughs> I like that, self-torture. Um, hydrotherapy, this is a, uh, we talk about this a lot in our detox DVD. Um, hydrotherapy is the concept of when you're in the shower, going from the hottest temperature that you can tolerate to the coldest. And um, so you would go for about, you know, 30 seconds to 60 seconds with hot 
and then shift that to as cold as you can tolerate for at least 15 to 30 seconds. Um, this is going to be really important to move the lymphatic flow, which does help the body detox, but this also helps with creating that thermogenesis or caloric burn and does boost your uh, adiponectin values in the body. I always picture, I don't know if anyone out there knows who Rob Dyrdek is. He's the professional skateboarder from the show Robin Big, but he has one huge tub um, next to another huge tub outside of his house, and one's really cold and one's hot. He'll go back and forth for like 30 seconds each, I think a couple minutes, every single morning. I'm like, I just love that. (laughs) If we could all only have these huge (laughs) temperature-regulated tubs. Um, Okay, so the fifth hormone is dopamine, which is also a neurotransmitter. Let's talk about how this can affect weight loss. So dopamine is the uh, reward-seeking neurotransmitter, and both dopamine and serotonin get depleted by stress. So often when we arrive home from a long day at work or uh, we've been cramming for an exam, we are dopamine-depleted. And um, that goes into the cascades of behavior of, uh, well, I call it, I was a good girl, now what do I get? (laughs) Um, And, you know, so that's when we either go for that second glass of wine or that bag of chips or ice cream or whatever our, our coping mechanism is. And we're seeking that food coma, right? Dopamine is actually elevated, and this is not the favorable way to do it, but it is elevated with the combination of um, high fat and sugar. And so, of course, things like um, kettle corn, that salty, crunchy, sweet, um, and fat is what puts us in that er kind of food coma, that numbing effect. And that's not really the recommended way to work with your dopamine because it doesn't replete. It actually hits your dopamine receptors and gives you that numb, but it doesn't give you the neurohormone building blocks to regenerate and, and drive it into balance. Okay, so how do we increase it without those deleterious foods like donuts and yeah. crunchy kettle corn? <laughs> <laughs> I know, why am I talking about this? Um, so we want to replete our dopamine and actually you know, prevent the dopamine drop ideally, um, by working with foods that have um, L-tyrosine. So tyrosine is the precursor to dopamine, just like uh, with our tryptophan driving serotonin. So tyrosine is going to build into dopamine. It helps to be converted with B vitamins as well. And tyrosine comes from egg yolk. It's highest in duck eggs, actually. Um, and, And duck in general is a really great source. Seaweed. So things like nori wraps, uh, dulse shakers or kelp shakers, wild-caught fish as well. And so doing a really simple homemade sushi roll, you know, if you're just using a nori sheet and you wanted to put some hummus on that and you wanted to put some hard-boiled eggs or you wanted to put some canned tuna, um, I like to do the skipjack, it's lower mercury, um, or some wild salmon on there and then some dulse rolling that up and, and cutting that into bites would be a really great three, four o'clock snack so that when you do come home, you won't have that, that dopamine drop and then you won't be on that downhill escalator trying to sprint upwards. You'd be rolling with it. Perfect. That sounds delish. Um, all right. So let's do the homework for everyone else listening out there and let's put something together that will increase your leptin, increase your adiponectin, increase your dopamine, and maybe keep your estrogen in check or bring it down. Yep, and reduce that cortisol for sure. Oh, and the cortisol. And I I think that, so the big summary, you know, just to kind of take it home before I go into a recipe is, 
that we want to work on, of course, there's the mindfulness component. We're seeing that as a trend of how we let stress influence us. And based on our demands, it's absolutely reasonable to bring in some landing gear or coping mechanisms. And I think the first line of defense is to look into your assessment. So I would really recommend if you're finding resonation with a couple of these running that Labrix panel, it looks at uh, three of the five that we've discussed specifically mm-hmm. in, the, in that panel. It's going to look at the dopamine, the cortisol, and the uh, estrogen. So getting information is always key to, to use as a direct intervention. Um, but the other piece of it, stress management and sleep hygiene or sleep routine is is a super big take home that I'm hoping that you're all going to get. So whether it's mindfulness or meditation, getting in bed, getting that eight hours and being kind to yourself in your mind space is going to be huge for, for balancing out these hormones. Yeah. I like to think of sleep as the reset button. Absolutely. If you're not getting good sleep, things are just not going to be in balance when you wake up. Right. Um, I know I like to use like a foam roller. It's um, one of those like six or eight inch diameter foam rollers that I'll roll out my back and neck and um, work that as my routine after I brush and floss. And that kind of gets me into the mind space of sleep. It works out all of the knots in my back and and that helps me to get in deeper sleep. And I also do use very regularly our rest and regulate powder. And oh yeah, that's the best. (laughs) And I love that. It has magnesium glycinate and a little bit of inositol. Inositol also is going to help with that estrogen balance. So that's a really good passive way to get that. Um, And then qualitatively, I want to just touch real quick on food. Quality is key. So something I kind of breezed over with the estrogen, I want to make sure that I I note is that the other big source of estrogen is from growth hormone in uh, dairy and growth hormone in meats. So not only choosing organic with your produce, but trying to get that wild caught as we've talked about with the fish grass-fed or pasture-raised, and definitely hormone and antibiotic freeze is going to be key to get the best amino acids, which help your neurotransmitters, the most quality sources, and also limit your exposure to toxins and the hormonal imbalancers. Like plastic, for instance, would be probably the most common, getting away from bottled water when possible. Oh, yeah. So then beyond food, right, then even your, your food containers too. So so plastics have xenoestrogens or synthetic estrogens, and that's why we are huge proponents of the clean canteen water bottles. We have those uh, awesome food as medicine water bottles and stainless steel they're 40 fluid ounces, which is great because then you can drink two of those a day and then just sip on water the rest of the day and, and be meeting your hydration status goals, which is really healthy for optimal metabolism as well. Okay. So let's get to this yummy bean, white bean spread. Okay. So yeah. So I, I wanted to take these five hormones and, and make a synergistic snack for you all. Um, and so our white bean spread um And this is going to be using a um, can of cannellini beans. I like to use the Eden brand. Um, They are BPA-free, so that would be really important to limit the estrogen again. And then also the Eden brand has kombu, which is a sea vegetable. This helps in two ways. It gives you minerals, so it's going to boost your thyroid. It's also going to boost that dopamine. And it's also going to reduce the phytates or the compounds in beans that drive gas and bloating. So if your neighbor or your spouse or whoever is in your household doesn't like you when you have beans, um, they might like you a little more if you use the the Eden brand with that uh, kombu in there. So it's a can of cannellini beans and you're going to drain those, um, but you don't have to rinse those. You actually want to keep the residue on there. 
Then the juice of a lemon, so we're adding in that vitamin C to support that healthy cortisol rebound in the body and those adrenal glands. We're going to add in a couple teaspoons of fresh chopped rosemary. Rosemary is going to be an herb that has high anti-inflammatory support, also uh, helps with uh, lipolysis or the breakdown of fatty tissues in the body, and has been shown in research to help with memory, Um, so kind of cool little tidbit there. Uh, adds a really nice robust flavor. Then we're going to add in a teaspoon of kelp flakes, a, a again for the dopamine there, a tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil. So adding these healthy fats are going to help with healthy leptin response and also going to help with that adiponectin. A half teaspoon of sea salt or more to taste, but a high mineral salt or a sea salt. And all you're going to do is mash this together with a fork. Um, and I like to serve this with zucchini chips. They can just be literally like raw zucchini coins that are chopped up. You could do this with jicama, raw carrots, uh, raw bell pepper wedges to add more vitamin C, or you could spread it on a a collard green or a rainbow chard leaf, and then, um, layer it with some in-house roasted turkey or other protein of choice and, um, do that as little pinwheels. Um, and that can be a great, uh, light lunch or a, a heavy snack. Sounds so good. Yeah. yeah. I'm hungry. And then, you know, if you're making it for kiddos and you want to, or or for a party and you want to go a step further, maybe from just single ingredient foods, I do like um, when I'm entertaining, there are uh, brown rice tortillas that you can use. And I do like to take those with a a drizzle of olive oil and shredded Parmesan and rosemary. And um, I'll cut those into little triangles and bake those in a baking sheet. And um, they make really nice, I, I like the Food for Life brand of the brown rice tortillas. They're sprouted brown rice, really clean um, option. And that'll give you that salty crunch in the dip if, if you're <laughs> not quite there. Or, you know, for every two or three pieces of broccoli, you need something salty, crunchy, and you're training your husband to <laughs> indulge in whole foods. I remember you made that for Fox one morning. Yeah, 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 so I definitely good. did. Yeah. I think I ate it all. <laughs> um, awesome. And I love that there's a lot of fiber in this recipe too. I think we, we did mention it a little bit today, but fiber is one thing I've even personally just realized recently how important it is and how little I was actually getting. And I think women in general probably don't get at least, what, the 30 grams a day? 30 minimum, yeah. Yeah. And I think especially, and probably, you know, we shared uh, last couple episodes that, you know, with Carly doing a lot more ketogenic dieting, that that is one of the big cruxes, you know, is uh, because fibers are in the carbohydrate family. So when you are going really, really low carb, you are compromising your fiber. And that's why it is good to kind of within season, within flow, within stress, shift your diet around, help your body to stay metabolic on its toes <laughs> absolutely, and um, keep the whole system in check most definitely yep well thanks everyone so much for listening and we'll see you at episode 17 all right thanks guys thank you for listening to the nationally nourished podcast visit our blog at alliemillerrd.com for recipes wellness tips and food as medicine meal plans Connect with Allie and Carly at Allie Miller RD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well. <laughs>